This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. But Italy was always the place where I felt like I came back home. Even when I was in the United States, I was like, I don't feel at home here. I want to go back home. And, And Italy was that place. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. Welcome to the first episode of season three of the Blacksit Global podcast. And I can't believe it's taken 23 episodes to have the conversation with my next guest. For those of you who are in the Blacks of Global Facebook group, you are already familiar with my next guest. But for those of you who don't know, it is the amazing, incredible Victoria Childress. She <laughs> is joining us today from Orvieto, Italy. Welcome to the Blacksit Global Podcast, Victoria. Yay! Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I have listened to so many other um, amazing stories that you've done, like you said, on these 23 episodes. And so I hope that this one can be just as amazing and inspirational and informative and all that good stuff. And I'm so happy to be here with you. Uh, this is awesome because, you know, you have stepped up and stepped in from <laughs> the, the beginning, really, and have been a great moderator for the group. Just your insight, your inspiration, your focus, and your story, you know, really resonated with me. And I know it resonates with so many others. And that is why I'm really excited to have this conversation as well. And you're an, a mom an incredible entrepreneur. There's so much to unpack. So, you know, why don't we start at the beginning? Tell me about your life before you went to Italy. So my life before Italy, I was actually, I was just a girl. I was a teenager. My first, um, my first trip to Italy was when I was a freshman in college and I had a whole four-year college university plan. I had I had just all of these ideas, you know, kind of the life that you're supposed to enter into when you um, leave the house, leave your parents' house, leave high school, and um, and I and I just decided to come to Italy on a whim. And when I did, it changed everything about all of those plans that I made. Um, I didn't at the time know that it was Italy itself. I just knew I wanted to experience all the things that I experienced, you know, when I first arrived here. I had never, I had only been to a couple of states in the United States um, at the time. And um, of course, you know, never anywhere out of the country, you know, not a cruise, not, you know, nowhere. And so um, my first international experience was Europe and it was Italy and it was the sights and the sounds and the taste, the the food, the language, the people, um, the way of life. And I happened to um, go into um, an architecture program. Um, it uh, was going to be based in a small town, which happens to be the very town that I live in today, um, Orvieto. And so the program itself was called Study Abroad in Rome. And so I thought I was going to be, 
you know, in the city of Rome. Um, but we, we spent a lot of time there, you know, for our studies, but we actually lived in this really, really small town. And I think that that was very significant in my introduction to Italy, because when you live in a bigger city like Rome, um, it can kind of feel like any big city in the world, you know, like a New York city or Chicago or something like that. Um, but because we were in this really, really tiny rural town, um, Orvieto is one hour north of Rome. Um, they have a very particular way of life. Things are very slow. People are very uh, traditional. They have traditional values. Things are kind of routine. It's a little monotonous. Um, and I know that, you know, living here is for a particular kind of person. Years later, when I decided to move to Rome, I, or to Italy, I moved to Rome thinking that's where I wanted to be, but it was just too busy for me. It was it was too much of a big city. I'm not a big city girl. And so I happened to come back here. And so my introduction to Italy was this very small place, medieval place, where they take a lot of pride in their history and their culture and their food um, and family and just all of these wonderful things. And it was the first time that I felt uh, seen as um, a person, as a woman, as a black woman, um, I it, it was intimidating at first um, because you know when you come here, just they stare at you and you don't know kind of how to take that. Um, but a lot of times they're just unfamiliar, you know, with foreigners. Sometimes they're unfamiliar with black foreigners and especially black Americans, because really, you know, their, their outlook and their view, I think on black Americans is only what they see, you know, in media and movies and stuff. And so I just, it was just a whirlwind of emotions and feelings and senses, you know, being, um, heightened, um, when I was just 17, 18 years old, you know, and so, you know, I was very impressionable, you know, of course, at that time. And I just knew when I left here after being here for a semester that I wanted to do it again. I wanted to, I, I couldn't see myself in a classroom at a university for four years, you know, down the line. I was like, I have to travel. I have to figure out how to do that. And so, you know, that's that's how it started. I started with the semester abroad. Wow. So when you had that experience in Italy and it really just woke up your your heart space, when you traveled to other European countries or just any other country, I would guess that you didn't have that same feeling. Can you describe what that feeling is? So every year after my semester abroad, I would I would visit Italy. Sometimes it was for one week, two weeks, uh, one month. It, then it turned into two months, three months, six months, sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year. Um, every time I did that, I would learn more and more about the country. I would travel to different places in the country, as well as the places that, you know, I had visited previously. I started building relationships with people um, where people would ask, when are you coming? When are you coming back? Um, you know, and so I, I started to have this sense of community um, in Italy. When I would travel to other places, um, it would be, I, I always considered myself not so much a tourist. I didn't want to go to places and just consume it like a tourist. I wanted to go there and really delve into, you know, the various cultures, you know, wherever it was I was traveling. And the only other place that I kind of lived in for a, a longer period of time was Mexico. And, and I always say that's like, that would be my second home, you know, um, outside of Italy, if I could choose a place. And so the other places, while I loved you know, various aspects about the places. They just never captured my heart like Italy. Could be because um, Italy was my first. I always kind of um, call Italy, like I joke with friends that Italy is like my passionate uh, boyfriend. Um, and so uh, Italy was my first country. It was the first place that, you know, I experienced that um, even inspired me to want to travel the rest of the world. There's a certain um, quality of life um, Italy and Italians um, hold dearly that I subscribe to as well. Um, and it's, you know, quality of food, quality of air, quality of um, time, quality of family, just so many things that really resonate with me. And it's not things that I can say I, um, I was privy to in the States. 
you know, and so sometimes the things that you experience when you're abroad isn't something that you're familiar with, but it's something that speaks to you. And so um, there were just so many things that spoke to me about Italy. And then again, I, I started to cultivate community. And I found that when I would leave and go back to the United States, that those people would stay in touch with me. They would, um, you know, check in on me, ask me when I was coming back. And when I came back, I would spend time with them. And I just felt like, you know, I didn't have people checking for me like that in the States when I was gone. You know, um, I could say that I was missing. I was missing that. And then in other places that I would travel to, I can't say that I was there long enough to have those type of relationships um, or to even have a deeper sense of the culture. Um, I think when I went there, I learned some things and then I left, you know, I, was, I lived a very um, nomadic lifestyle um, for about a decade. When I would travel to those places, I would always come back to my home base, what I considered my home base. And that was Italy. You know, it just it spoke to me and resonated with me on so many levels that that was the reason why I kept coming back here and why it always kind of remained like my number one. There were times that you know, I would be here for uh, six months or nine months or something. And I just, I couldn't wait to leave. I was like, I'm sick of Italy. I hate Italy. I'm, I'm ready to go because, you know, it, it just became too much. Um, and, and that's where you get into the difference between, you know, being a visitor or being a tourist and, you know, really living there and being a resident, you know, it's two different things. And so, um, but at the time I was just free. I didn't have any any roots. I didn't have any ties. I could just go wherever I wanted. And so that's what I did. But Italy was always the place where I felt like I came back home. Even when I was in the United States, I was like, I don't feel at home here. I want to go back home. And, and Italy was that place. That's amazing. And so you said a couple of things that, you know, I think is really important, too, because you traveled to Italy multiple times over the course of several years, it also enabled you, it sounds like, to be able to get past that that part of the wanderlust, right? Where like you liken uh, Italy to a relationship, right? It's like, oh, when that new relationship energy wears off, what's going to sustain this love affair, right? And so you got to a point where there were things that you were like, exactly. oh, I, I don't like this or whatever. But then you still realize that that's where you wanted to be and to your point that Italy was home for you. So that is an incredible level of insight because, you know, sometimes people move to a different location and then that newness wears off and then it's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I didn't like this place. Right. So it's really insightful. I guess that brings me to another part of your story, you know, you talked about that early experience where you traveled to Italy and it opened up your heart space. And now you have a business that helps other young women do the same. Can you talk a little bit about Girl Go? Absolutely. So Girl Go is a passion project of mine. It is an organization that I wanted to, to start, not with um, like mass tourism or mass appeal in mind. I knew that I wanted to work with small groups of, of teenage girls, underserved girls, black girls. Um, and I've even had, you know, Hispanic um, and Latina girls on my trips. And I knew that I wanted to work with them because I knew that, and I still feel that travel is one of the gateways to so many levels of freedom in your lifestyle, financial freedom, career and education freedom, um, family and, and love, personal relationships um, that you may feel you know, that that's lacking in the United States, mainly because I feel like we're not seen in the same way in the United States as we are in other parts of the world. I feel that there's a value for just who we are as, as Black girls, Black women, Black people in other parts of the world that doesn't really exist in the United States. And so I had this idea one day, you know, I've, I've accomplished certain things in my life. And I mean, I started my business when I was 18, turning 19 years old. And that's a pretty early start. And I started and I wanted to start a business because I had the epiphany while I was studying abroad in Italy that, hey, 
I'm not going to be able to do this if I'm at a corporate job, you know, if I'm at a nine to five with only two weeks off per year, I'm not going to be able to experience the things that I want to experience in 14 days. Um, and so how can I do that? I, I, I'm going to have to work for myself. I'm going to have to delve into entrepreneurship. And so I did that many trials and errors, but I started my business at that young of an age. And so I had this idea. I was living in Mexico at the time um, in 2015. What could have happened if I had traveled even earlier than when I was 17, 18 years old, earlier than my first year in college? What kind of head start would I have had? And so I wanted to start an organization where I specifically worked with um, girls in high school, 14 to 17, before they enter college so that they can see the type of opportunities and options that they have available outside of the United States. I've had girls, normally when the girls enter my program, you know, and, and I ask them about studying abroad, um, some of them may express some interest, but it's normally like, uh, you know, because they have their ideas about college life in the States. And that's fine. Normally at the end of my programs, every single time, all of them want to study abroad. All of them want to come for a gap year or for a semester abroad or for some, you know, some short um, volunteer program or something like that, where maybe two weeks volunteering in some country or a semester learning something in a different culture um, and country, you know, and something to that effect where their mind has now been opened to where they see that my options aren't limited to what's in, available in the United States. Um, and all of the options and opportunities, because most of my girls are in like STEM programs, they're into entrepreneur, business, finance, um, legal or something like that. So they're very much, you know, on the fast track to, you know, like educational and career success. They have a good head on their shoulders and they know what they want out of life. And so they have opportunities in the States too. Many of them receive um, scholarships and, and just all sorts of opportunities, internships and apprenticeships. Um, but it's like, what more is available for them outside of the United States? And it's all about providing options. And so like, my, my mantra or tagline for Girl Go is exposure experience early. It's all about them getting a glimpse of the world early, even if they don't do anything with it right away. Um, even if they don't decide to, which hasn't been the case, all of them have wanted to, you know, after the first program, many of them have gone on to travel to other countries during the summer. A lot of them want to study abroad. And so now when they look at American universities, they're asking questions like, what type of study abroad programs do you have? What type of international presence do you have? Um, whereas they wouldn't have had that before. And so now they know that they can um, expand their career into other countries. They can relocate into other countries and, and thrive and, and do well. And if they want to return to the States, they can. It's all about options. And that's something that I feel like, especially Black girls, don't receive a lot of. They don't know the type of options and opportunities they have. And, and the point of my program is to say, you have all the options in the world. And so it's been, it's been fun. It's been fun to see them um, come here and they're very uh, nervous. They're a little bit closed-minded. They don't know what to expect, what to think. Um, they come here as tourists. They come here um, as consumers because all they know is, oh, the pasta is good or, oh, the Coliseum or, you know, all of these things that they only kind of see in books or media. But when they get here and they start to interact with, um, with the people, um, I push them to interact with the people. Don't worry about the language part. Speak what you can speak. Say what you can say. Um, but other Otherwise, you know, connect with the people, understand their way of life, understand that their way of life is different than yours, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's just different. And so we teach them all of these things. Um, we have a STEM program, we have an entrepreneurship program, and then we have the cultural immersion um, aspect of the program. And, and so it's a lot that we throw at them at, at one time, but they all leave wanting to stay. 
Um, they all leave being very familiar with things that when they when they arrive, like sometimes uh, when they arrive, they don't know the train system. They don't know how to look at a manifest board. And so and when they leave, I don't have to tell them they just they know the way to go. They know how to get there. They know how to get their ticket. They know how to get, you know, from Orvieto to Rome or from Rome to Naples, you know, and so it's kind of developing this international identity and this international mindset. Um, and it's just amazing. That's just two weeks, you know, so imagine, um, you know, what can happen in a, in a, in a whole semester. And that's kind of what happened to me. And so that I'm, I'm excited to, um, to, I think, pour into girls in that way. Um, yeah, it's been a blast so far. It sounds like it's been a blast and it sounds like such an incredible program because as you mentioned, just being able to open up the opportunities and it's like bringing a platter right with different things and so they may tap tap into one thing try a different thing but you're right it's like they may utilize those skills in now or draw on those experiences later but being able to have that access and exposure is something that will stay with these girls for a lifetime and I love the title like girl go girl just go go. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so simple. transitioning a little bit and kind of staying on that same thread to early exposure, you are also a mom to a young little little one. I and am. so <laughs> let's talk a little bit about, you know, that early exposure because you've grown up in the States. Your daughter is growing up in Orvieto. How do you see her life being different than how you grew up? It's already different in ways that I couldn't have ever imagined. I have my my background and I have the, the things that I grew up with, um, good and bad, beneficial and challenging, um, coming from not just the United States, but coming from Memphis, Tennessee, coming from the Deep South. Um, you know, coming from a place like that, that has the history that it has. And then coming from my particular family and how they grew up and all of that. And so um, my daughter is, she was born here in Italy and she's American, you know, but she, there's nothing American about her, you know, in terms of her sensibilities and her understanding of culture. It's all very much Italian. Um, she goes to an Italian school. Um, she has Italian friends. She has a level of understanding about life that is um, innate and it's natural and it's a given to her that I've had to learn. I had to undo a lot of things in my mind and in my heart space and just in my understanding of myself as well as the world that she is growing up with. She's growing up with that stuff. She's not having to be be taught those things. She just knows those things. I remember one time, um, it, it was before I, I before she was born, that I was walking down one of the little streets here in Orvieto. And it's very common to just pass somebody, a stranger, and they just, ciao, Bella, ciao, ciao, Bella. And I was used to it by that time, but I was still kind of not used to it. And so I was used to hearing it. But this particular day, when someone passed me and said, ciao, Bella, I thought to myself, why are they saying hi, beautiful to me? They don't know me. Why are they saying hi, beautiful? And I, and I, and I kind of sat with that for a minute. And I thought, because they're just saying hi, beautiful. They're just, they're, they're speaking, hello. And they call women um, and even men beautiful. It's just part of the culture. And I started to understand how much that is not part of the culture in the United States, Um, how much I am not seen as beautiful. Um, And if I am, I'm not told that. It's not said to me regularly on the daily when I greet people. You don't get the two kisses on the cheek and the ciao, Bella, ciao, Bella, or, you know, arrivederci, Bella. When you grow up with that, and I remember thinking at the time before I had a kid, um, wow, you know, um, girls here, little girls here, that's how they greet each other. So you grow up knowing that you're beautiful. 
it's not even a question. It's just it's just something you hear all the time. And if you hear it enough, it's said enough. It's true. It's what it is. And I remember thinking, wow, to 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 grow up here, to be born here, to know that like I'm having to learn that. But to just know that how amazing is that? And that is the case with my daughter. I don't have to ask her. Um, if she's if she if she knows that she's beautiful or thinks that she's beautiful, like it's a given. She's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, because that's just what's told to her. She just she has not just that, but just all of these other sensibilities. She expects wonderful, delicious, healthy food. You know, um, it actually shocked me when we visited the States. We've only visited a few times. But, you know, when she visited visits the States, she doesn't want, you know, Chick-fil-A or a Happy Meal or something like that. But normally kids are super excited about that. And she's like, uh, no, you know, and it, 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 it's a shock to me, you know, but so she's used to a certain quality of life um, that I had to unlearn and then learn, you know, um, the, you know, a better way of doing things and, and a better way of being. And so being a mom here in, has been amazing. It's been challenging um, because, you know, in essence, we're immigrants, um, you know, we're not Italian, we're immigrants, but, um, or as some people say, expats or expatriates, um, but we're still very much part of the community here. And I could not see my life and her um, early childhood rearing anywhere else. Um, I can say that the start of her life and the start of me being a mother and, and just motherhood um, was definitely challenging because, you know, it's my first time being a mom. I don't know what I'm doing. We're in a foreign country. I don't have family here, but I did know that it was safer and I knew that, um, it was more, um, economical for me to be here than it would be for me to be in the States, especially as an entrepreneur. Um, and so, uh, being in a small town, you know, not being in a city, which people thrive, uh, other black American women that I know, they thrive in, in cities with a family too. But for me, I needed to be in a small place that was predictable or to was absolutely that. When you talk about healthcare and you talk about childcare and you talk about the cost of living and the cost and the cost of food, um, and all of those things, I could see myself you know, I could see a way, I could see a way through and a way clear. Whereas at the thought of returning to the United States, um, just for the sake of being near family, being near my mother, I was still like, how am I going to make it? You know, am I going to just have to get a job, you know, like throw away my 15 plus year experience as a business owner and just get a job. And, and so, so that I can get healthcare, am I going to have to um, work overtime just so that I can afford um, childcare, um, and you know, ultimately the answer was no. You know, and it was a scary decision to make. But we've absolutely thrived here. You know, in ways that I don't think would be possible unless you're making a lot of money or or something like that. But it's not just about the money part. Um, when I when I talk about thriving, I just mean, you know, being in a space where you're safe, where you feel safe, being in a space where you feel like you have community, being in a space where you feel like you're beautiful, being in a space where you felt where you feel seen, being in a space where you feel like um, you're not just the color of your skin, you know, but that you're a person. Um, all all of those things contribute to the reason why I thrive here as a mom and why I feel like she's thrived here as a little black girl um, in ways that we would not have in the, in the United States. We all as human beings on this earth want to be seen, Absolutely. right? We want to be affirmed. We want to be recognized for our humanity. What I love about the Italian culture and, and what I've been learning more with these conversations but particularly uh, of those of you that live in Italy is, you know, the ciao bella, just being able to, you know, hear everyone has that same reaction to that phrase I've, I've found in the conversations that I've had because it's this affirmation mm -hmm. of you see me. That is huge. And whether it is in Italy, in New Zealand, which is my happy place, you know, mm -hmm. wherever you are, go where you can grow, go where you can be seen, go, go where your heart and your soul light up. 
all of those other constructs that, to your point, we have been conditioned to accept, particularly in the United States, yes, those conditions might exist in other places, but not to the same degree. And so there's a level of comfort and safety that comes from being able to allow yourself to break free of certain constructs and be able to, you know, exist in the unfamiliar and then find a way to thrive, which is what I'm hearing from your story. You talked about raising your daughter and then also kind of contrasting that to the U.S. And so you've been in Italy and now you've been in Italy through a pandemic. And and as you mentioned, you also had come back to the States. You were in the States during the winter storm that hit Texas. And you also have, as I mentioned, been in Italy during the pandemic and especially the height (laughs) of the pandemic as it was hitting Italy before any other country, right? Yeah, Yeah. And so what have been your biggest observations when you look at those two big monumental like events that occurred? Yeah, that's an amazing um, question. And, you know, sort of this side by side comparison. Um, And obviously the pandemic could be considered um, a bigger event than the ice storm in Texas, although the ice storm in Texas was devastating. It was devastating. And I think that it was devastating like the proportion of it was you wouldn't think that, yes, a ice storm is going to, you know, cause some damage, but the level of damage that it caused, I think nobody was expecting, um, you know, being Texas, you know, being one of the wealthiest states, being one of the largest states, and then being in what is considered a uh, first world country. <laughs> um, it was definitely eye opening. I would say being in Italy, and Italy was sort of ground zero for kind of how and where the pandemic kind of started and spread. Of course, it you know started elsewhere, but it was where it all kind of hit. Um, and it was bad. It was so bad and it was so depressing because it was out of it was out of nowhere. It was a shock to everybody. It and we were on lockdown in a way that a lot of other countries were not on lockdown. Like the definition of lockdown in various countries um, is different, but here um, we couldn't move. We couldn't. The only thing you can move to do is go to the grocery store or to the pharmacy. Um, it was ghost town. Nobody has ever seen Rome or Milan or uh, Naples in the way that that it was um, because everything stopped and it was quite depressing. But I felt a level of care and concern and responsibility from the Italian government and the Italian people that I had never felt before. Um, I mean, when you think about, because at at that time, you know, the ice storm in Texas had not happened. But when you think about things like Katrina and you think about things like 9-11, where there's this devastation that happens and you can see the difference and response depending on who it's affecting, you know, it speaks volumes about how the government that you uh, pay, that you that you pay homage to, that you follow, and that you that you should um, have reverence for, and, and all of those things, you know how different you know things are depending on who the 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 devastation or the event is affecting. And I remember Katrina very very well. I remember when I studied abroad here, my first year in college. Um, it was a year after Katrina happened. And I remember Italians, older Italians, you know, they're 80, 85 years old, sitting at a cafe at a little table and we're passing by and they learn that we're from the United States and they say, and they say, how, how, how are things there? It's horrible what happened there. How are the people there? Like that blew me away, you know, um, because 
nobody's checking for us like that in the United States, you know? And so when the pandemic happened, I remember just feeling like, wow, uh, I don't know what to do. I kind of don't know what to do. But I, I was very clear that I was not going back to the United States. I have family members messaging me asking, when are you, are you coming home? Are you coming home? It's so bad in Italy. It's so bad. And I say, yeah, it's bad here. But it's about to be bad there because it hadn't hit the, the United States yet. And I was like, and I hate to see what it's going to be like. Um, I remember receiving um, a package in the mail or, or at my door um, and it was gloves and hand sanitizer and a few other essential items. And it was from the, the, the government here, the, the municipality here. I learned that they sent those packages to every door in the city. And that they were going to be doing that, you know, every 10 days, two weeks, you know, until, until whenever. And I was just like, why would they, why would they be doing that? Why, why? That's nice. Okay. Okay. That's nice. Great. You know, and then they started rolling out with these different programs. Hey, you know, you've been, uh, been affected by the pandemic. You haven't been able to work. You know, you can come and get some, uh, some vouchers for groceries. You can come get vouchers for other essentials. Uh, we're going to be giving out money for rent. We're going to be doing this. And I'm like, why would they do that? And that's when I realized, oh, I, I'm a taxpayer. I pay into the system. So they're helping us because that's what your tax money should do. I've never heard of anything like that in the States. You know, like when you do hear about benefits, unemployment benefits or welfare benefits, it's such a thing that is looked down upon and you're looked down upon for using it. You know, and that just kind of goes into what a capitalistic society um, kind of leads with what it's about. And so I felt the safest I've ever felt in the midst of a crisis um, being here in Italy, knowing that I was good, knowing that nobody was going to put me out on the street if I was behind, knowing that my lights weren't going to be turned off, knowing that um, if we need food, we can get it, knowing that, you know, just having all of those types of securities. And I, that wasn't the case for all Italians. You know, there were a lot of people suffering. But, you know, in a, on, on a basic level, I definitely feel like I would have been struggling and I would have been uh, fearful for my safety and, and for the safety of my kid of my kid than in, in the United States. And so after an entire year of of the pandemic and then visiting the states and this was the first time that my daughter visited the states where she she was kind of cognizant of the fact that we were there like before she was really really small and so um when we went this time it was this past february 2021 we visited and before before we visited and being away for almost two years before that i i would go to the states maybe quarterly, at least twice a year. And so uh, prior to the pandemic, I hadn't been there for almost a year. And then the pandemic, I hadn't been there for a year. And so being away for almost two years and going back, I was just like, uh, I was, I'm ready to go. You know, it, it, it wasn't exciting for me. Um, I think I had been away for a long enough period of time where I, I really started to adopt the Italian ways and just and just look at Italy as my home and not just a place where I'm at for however long I'm going to be here. If I need to go back to the States, I can. At this point, as far as I'm concerned, I'm never returning to the to the United States. And so when we went back, um, you know, my, my daughter, she didn't eat a lot. She didn't like uh, the food. And so I was having to kind of cook more than I thought I would um, and kind of cook, you know, some of the things that we were used to eating in Italy. Um, that was a shock for me. Um, I remember kind of understanding just how non-American she is when she tried to use the restroom at my mom's house and she didn't know how to flush the toilet because the toilets are different. And so that was hilarious. Um, but then when the ice storm hit, you know, it was like, okay, the, the power is out okay, the whole state, all the power is out. It's going to be out for multiple days. The power is out in hospitals and stuff. The power is out, you know, and so when we really started to understand like the gravity of this storm and the breakdown in the, the electrical and a grid system in Texas and how it's separate from the rest of the country and how just all of these things that kind of started to come to light 
you know, it was like, what? It was such a shock. And it was so, it was so, for lack of a better word, stupid. It was like, why, why does a country this wealthy and a state this wealthy have these type of problems? The juxtaposition between Texas and that ice storm and Italy or the rest of the world and the pandemic was that there was a lack of government oversight, but there was a lack of government concern on a human level for the people that were suffering. You know, you had um, light companies, light and gas companies charging people, you know, $10,000, $8,000, you know, during something like this that wasn't their fault, you know, whereas the same could apply in Italy where, you know, people just couldn't pay their bills because everything was shut down and the government stepped in in a lot of ways, you know, for, um, to aid them in that. When you start to look at things in that view, you're like, mm, you know, who, who really cares about you? You know, who really has my back? How, how much does it really matter that I'm not you know, in this top percentage of people who earn a certain amount or have a certain have certain things or a part of a certain family name. Um, I'm just an American and I'm supposed to be guaranteed, you know, all of these liberties and rights and freedoms um, and, a, and a certain quality of life when maybe that's just a cover up. Maybe that's gilded. Maybe it's not really true, you know, when you really get down to it, because so many people are suffering in ways that they don't, they shouldn't have to, you know, being as wealthy as the United States is. Well, it's crazy. Yeah, that storm, it, especially since it happened during the pandemic, right, was just another blemish that opened up people's eyes to the lack of investment in infrastructure, lack of um, decency on the part of lawmakers who decided to hightail and, and run. It just opened up just so much, even like you talked about, you know, the consumerism in, in the sense of just going after people with these exorbitant bills just for the sake that they can do it. And right. so it's a bad situation. And what, what I want people to understand, too, when they listen to this is, because I have my issues with, with media as well, is once the headlines go away, the issue is still there. Absolutely. Right? And so the reason why we're talking about is that we still need to pay attention what goes on in Texas, because there are people who live there. And yeah. they have a right to be able to live without having their homes flooded, without getting $10,000 bills for using power during a, a, a blackout or whatever the case may be. We have a responsibility. We are our brother and sister's keeper. And so that's why we need to talk about and highlight these critical issues. And the fact that, you know, in the States, there are now the child care tax credits that are rolling out to, to individuals who have children in this country, but that pales in comparison to the resources that you were, were able to be afforded during the pandemic while you were in Italy. That's why these comparisons are really critical to illustrate with real life examples how life can be different if you allow yourself to think different and plant yourself somewhere else. Yeah. Um, talking about planting <laughs> somewhere else <laughs> and a nice little segue is when you made that journey from Texas back to Orvieto, you had a additional guest with you. What came about from that visit? And specifically, I'm talking about your mom. Yeah, so my mom came with us. And I think that so for all the years that I've been in Italy, I've always wanted her to relocate here. Both of my parents, actually, I just felt like they would just benefit in just all kinds of ways um, from the quality of life here that I've talked about. Um, I think maybe because of work, 
you know, it was met with resistance. But the pandemic, while, you know, horrible in all the ways that we always talk about, you know, it, it has uh, produced, you know, many opportunities in other ways. And um, one of those is, you know, just a, a lot of people having the freedom and flexibility to work remotely. And so that's certainly been the case for my mother. Um, I think a couple of things worked in my favor to getting her over here. Um, and that was one, my kid. So she, you know, she wants to see her grandchild, her granddaughter grow up and she wants to be here for all of those moments. If there's anybody that's clear on the fact that I'm not returning to the United States, it's my mom. Um, she knows that, you know, if, if there's going to be, you know, I think that kind of um, picturesque relationship between a grandmother and granddaughter and having all of those moments as she grows up, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen here. Um, the second thing that worked in my favor was the really the pandemic. You know, we, we were away for almost two years and she kind of watched my daughter grow up um, on an iPad you know, just on video. And so she, we were away from her for a long period of time. And I think that, you know, ultimately my mom doesn't have any really strong family ties or anything in Texas and in general. And so it just made more sense for her to want to come here just to be closer to us. And then third, my daughter um, made the case. You don't have any other grandchildren in the States. You don't have any other me's. So, you know, why don't, why don't you just come? And so um, being able to work remotely, wanting to be close to us, you know, I was able to convince her to come for three months. And so she came over and I, I laid, I was like, I'll make, I will make space for you. I will lay everything out for you um, just so you can come and enjoy yourself. You don't have to think about anything. And so I think that was, that was uh, appealing enough. And so she came and I just asked her one day, I was like, so what do you think about living here? You know, it's like, you're literally not doing anything in Texas, but working. Like there's nothing else going on. So why don't you come here to be with us? Um, it's less expensive. Um, you'll be closer to us, your family, to your granddaughter. You'll get to watch her grow up. You can help me out and give me a break. But you can just, you know, just kind of live it up and, and, and um, you know, kind of level up and improve your, your quality of life because there's nothing going on, you know, in Texas. And um, I just kind of threw it out there and I kind of nudged my daughter to do the same. And she did. And um, and she agreed. She agreed. She was like, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm ready. What do I need to do? You know, and so we started house hunting and um, gathering all the things that we need to gather for her visa. And um, I was just kind of showing her, you know, the ropes and, you know, what is what and, and what to do and, and just the whole process of, you know, um, what it will take to get her here in the next year. And she was down with all of it. She was like, let's do it. And I was actually shocked. I thought it was going to take more convincing than that. But um, she was she was down to do it. And so that's we're in the middle of all of that right now. Um, she should be here permanently by January of next year. So it's been about a year long process, um, you know, when we finish out this year. It's like it's super exciting because it's kind of like everything is coming full circle. I would love to get my father over here as well. Um, but, you know, at, to start and at this point, it's just it's fantastic that she's coming over because, um, you know, even though I have the people here who whom I've known for half my life, really, um, you know, and they're like family, they're still not family. And nobody supports you like your mom, nobody supports you like your grandmother. And so um, it's wonderful that she's coming here. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that she'll thrive. I think that, you know, she'll get to see more places than, you know, she's ever seen before because it's so affordable and easy to just travel to other countries once you're here, once you're in Europe um, and other places of the world. And I think that, you know, she'll get to watch her granddaughter grow up. And I think that, you know, we will definitely develop a closer relationship as mother-daughter. Um, I think it'd be wonderful. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you guys. Yeah. I can't wait to see how the next chapter unfolds. As we start to close, I want to ask you, yeah. what has been your biggest triumph and your biggest challenge during this process? Um, I would definitely say my biggest, I'll start with challenge. My biggest challenge 
was um, making the decision to be here fully committed because for many years I was here kind of one foot in one foot out and I was unsure and I and during all of the years that I was kind of living that way I can honestly say that nothing fell into place the way that it needed to. But when I made the decision to fully be here, everything fell into place. And so the biggest challenge there was um, really saying goodbye to the old and hello to the new. The biggest challenge was me, you know, kind of getting over my mental hurdles of will this work? What happens if I fail? What if I'm alone? What if I'm left alone? What if, um, and, and I have a kid, what if, what if um, I'm not able to provide for her? You know, it was it was really me and um, and my mental um, state of being fearful. And my biggest triumph comes from that, where when I stepped into it fully, and I committed to being here, and I trusted the process, and I trusted myself, and I trusted the universe to provide for me, being in the place where I knew I should be. Um, my biggest triumph has been that I'm able to provide for myself and my kid in ways that I never thought possible, really, that we're thriving, not just surviving um, in a foreign place. And that is beautiful. And that is a perfect way to end our conversation. Yes. So, Victoria, thank you so much for you. being a guest on the Black Sick Global podcast for sharing your remarkable journey and and really how it's impacted your daughter, the community that you build with the young ladies of Girl Go, and now your mom. Yeah. <laughs> so this is exciting. And also a huge thank you, as always, for being an A1 moderator of the Blacks of Global Facebook group. I could not do this without you. So I am so, so grateful that uh, the universe brought us together. Absolutely. I'm so honored to be part of the vision that you're um, that you're bringing forth, you know, with um, helping, um, especially us Black Americans or those from the Black diaspora, like move and thrive and just have the vision or even the thought, you know, to go somewhere else and, and live, you know, the best life of their of their dreams. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Black Sick Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksickglobal.com. It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.